round two of the Formula One season coming up this weekend. And for the third straight year, the series will be racing through the streets of Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, it's a controversial location, but a very, very fast circuit. Drivers seem to like it. Last season, though, it was a showdown between Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc. But with the Red Bull driver coming out on top. Now, this year, will it be the same story? Maybe there's a new face on top of the podium in the short history of this Grand Prix. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. Glad you could be with us. It's our Saudi Arabian Grand Prix preview. We're going to go over the major storylines that you want to watch out for this weekend and our track talk. We'll go over the circuit at Jeddah, one of the fastest on the calendar. And then if you have not heard this podcast before, I kind of do top five and bottom five from the race previously. So we will go over the highs and the lows of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Now that's in the book. I hope you subscribe to the podcast if you've been listening to us for a few episodes. If you're brand new, give it a couple of episodes and we hope we win your favor with a subscription. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please, please leave us a five-star review. It helps us in the promotion of this podcast. But I'm seeing more and more F1 podcasts, uh, especially here in the United States, popping up. But I hope you stick with us. I'm a little different than other podcasts. I speak directly to you. I don't mind podcasts that have guests because sometimes you get that really insightful person. But I try to give you something quick, digestible, and I just go over my insight. I'm a sports radio talk show host here in the United States, got a passion for Formula One. I've been covering racing for close to 30 years. And I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you'll pass it along. We really could use the help. All right, so again, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is a rather new race. It's only in its third year in existence. It is on the coast in Saudi Arabia. It's a controversial race. There's no question about that. The location, the country behind it. Yes, last year there was a missile attack not far from the track, and the drivers were wondering about their safety. They went on with the Grand Prix. The track itself can be a little tricky and dangerous. But nevertheless, it is the second race on the calendar like it was last year. And the five things to watch out for this weekend, well, there's number one on that list is one that has been a buzz for the past two weeks or close to two weeks, and that is, is the season already over? And I know that's hyperbolic to say, but boy, oh boy, are people really thinking that Red Bull and Max Verstappen are going to run away with this season. And you know what? It probably is. It's one thing in the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball when a team gets off to a hot start, we can sort of go, well, you know what? It's not supposed to be an easy ride. There's going to be some obstacles. We expect teams to suffer injuries. We expect teams to get the, the weather to kick in or the travel to kick in or whatever it is that we always use to sort of thwart hot starts in the other professional leagues. But this is racing. And Formula One, there's the individual driver and there's the team he drives for. So Red Bull is a team is head and shoulders above everybody else in terms of the pace of the car that didn't have to go through a lot of changes for the 2023 season after a dominating 2022 season. And you have a generational driver in Max Verstappen, who's going to go down as one of the greatest in the sports history. So those two combinations, plus struggles of the other teams that were supposed to be competing against Red Bull this season. Yeah, it's a very small sample size. It's one out of 23 races, but we're not really looking at it through that lens are we? We're not looking at Max Verstappen one race number one. We're looking at Max Verstappen winning 17 of the last 24 races going back to Abu Dhabi in 2021. That's what we're talking about. It's a consistency that's been carrying it, carrying over into this season, right? So we can't just take an individual snapshot. And I think that's where people are getting worked up. 
They're looking at this saying, well, no one is really on the pace of Red Bull in testing or in, in Bahrain. We're not seeing a challenge to what Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez have in their cars. So why would I think that at any point there's going to be a team that is challenging Red Bull for the championship? So what you're going to need here is a couple of DNFs. You're going to need some problematic races this season where they're not on top of their game. Some circuits where other teams might be just a, slid, a little bit better. But you know what? Max Verstappen had a couple of DNFs early in the season last year. And you know what happened? He still won this thing going away. By the time they left Japan with a still a couple of races left on the calendar, he was already crowned the world champion. So you're going to need a lot more than DNFs if this is the way the season is going to go. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't great storylines to follow all season long. It just means that right now there is a real feeling amongst people who followed this sport for lots and lots of years and people who are just brand new to the sport, maybe got a taste in 2021 and jumped on board fully in 2022, that we're not seeing anything different. Now, this is going to be a problem for Formula One because like all the other sports, they do want to have some competition. They want it to go down to the wire. They want people buzzing about a championship race. But if you get a guy that's wrapping it up this thing, let's say in mid-October, early October, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for the overall competitiveness of the sport. No matter how much you're trying to sell the battle for P4 or the constructor's battle for P5 or whatever it is that you've got left by the time you get to Abu Dhabi at the end of the season or by the time we get to Las Vegas on the penultimate race of the season. So, yeah, there's a problem. But my sports analytical mind always says, you know, we still got a long season, but I just can't help but think, you know, we're probably going to get the same thing in 2023 that we got in 2022. Hey, maybe he has a DNF in Saudi Arabia and we go to Australia and there's a little bit more, it's a little bit more tight. I don't know. But it, it, there is the main concern coming out of Bahrain that we are not seeing a competitive first race. And are we ever going to see a competitive season for the Drivers' World Championship? But the second thing to watch out for is the latest on your Ferrari bingo card. Get it out, folks. Get it out. Right. You know how this works. Ferrari makes some sort of error and we got to go to the bingo card to see if you've got it on your card. Did you have double stacking last year? Did you have car catching on fire? Did you have a gust of wind that just spun Charles Leclerc out for no reason whatsoever? Did you have tire strategy failure? What did you have on the Ferrari bingo card last year? Because you could bring it out this year. Because if you had electrical power unit component being replaced for the third time, you might get a bingo. That's what is up for Charles Leclerc in the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. He suffers a 10-place grid penalty for the Grand Prix. They were forced to fit another control electronics power unit component. You're only allowed two changes per season. Leclerc used up both of his in Bahrain. Fred Vasser said that the first one was at fire up on Sunday morning before the night race. The second one was in the race. So that's two times. And this one triggered a grid penalty. Man, when it rains, it pours for this team. It is tough being a Ferrari fan. I've been a Ferrari fan for a long time, and the glory years are gone. But nevertheless, I try to bring you strong analytical takes when it comes to this without any emotional influence. In my regular radio show, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan of the NFL, for example. I try to analyze the Steelers as objectively as I can and not try to throw my crazy emotion into it. That's the same thing I got to do with Ferrari. I love Ferrari. I got Ferrari gear in my closet. I love them. I've loved them for a long time. But you know what? It's been really hard over the last couple of years to love them. 
It, it really has. Last year was painful. There was just something new every single year. And then when Charles Leclerc's car went kaput, I was like, oh, here's another one. And now to start the season with a DNF and a 10-place grid penalty, I hope they can still get a good day. Maybe Carlos Sainz runs up front. Maybe Leclerc finds some overtaking opportunities and moves his way through the field like he did at Canada last season. But nevertheless, I hope for a good result, but they're not starting on the right foot. This has been a disaster already, and we haven't even completed the second race of the year. All right, number three, the thing to watch for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix this weekend is how real is Aston Martin. They wowed us in preseason testing. They wowed us in Bahrain with both Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll not only finishing in the points, Alonso got on the podium. They showed incredible pace, scaring Mercedes. Ferrari's got to worry a little bit too. There's an upper middle part of the grid, like there's Red Bull way up front, and then there's this three-car group in the upper middle part that includes Ferrari, Mercedes, and now Aston Martin, and the other two are scared of what Aston Martin has. Right? They, they worked on developing this car, they were okay to be crappy, and now they're outstanding. I mean, it is too bad Sebastian Vettel didn't get the benefit of riding in this car, but Fernando Alonso is. This is one of the reasons he switched teams. They, they brought in all of the Red Bull engineers. This thing has a very Red Bull look, but man, it is really good. It is a really good car. But you know what? One race does not a season make, but there isn't any indication that this was a fluke. Like, they really did well in preseason tests. They did so well that it did really pop some people's eyeballs as to, okay, look what this, this is real. And then we all, oh, well, we got to see when it's at the race. Cause preseason, as you know, could tell you everything could tell you nothing, but in the race, we started to see it tell us something. And then people started going, all right, this is starting to look like something that may be consistent all season long, that they're running near the top. And then it becomes an interesting battle because if we're conceding Red Bull as the constructors champions, which is early, I get it, I understand. But if you're looking for to see who is going to at least be in the P2 position, right right now they are red, red, red hot after just one race and one Grand Prix. And plus you had the popular Fernando Alonso getting on the podium and it looks like he can do more podium finishes and maybe even Lance Stroll can join the party a bit. All right, the fourth thing, this is more on the negative side, but still watch out for this, and that's McLaren. Boy, do they need a bounce back, and they need something. I mean, anything. I don't care what it is. It was an absolute mess of preseason testing and the Grand Prix, both of them at Bahrain. So here's your chance to show that it may have been a circuit thing or some things you fixed, whatever it may be that was plaguing both Oscar Piastri and Lando Norris in the Grand Prix on Sunday at Bahrain. Let's hope it doesn't repeat itself for McLaren. These are two really good young drivers that don't want to be saddled with a team that is finding struggle after struggle after struggle. Look, this was a team that was battling Alpine for P4 in the Constructors' Championship last year. This was a team that, again, decided Daniel Ricciardo, who was having awful results in the car last year, needed to be replaced by a young gun. They've got two of the brightest young stars in the sport. But Oscar Piastri had to retire, and you had Lando Norris having to come in every 10 laps to fix a fuel problem, but overall it was just a disaster. Now in racing, you can have one of these moments where you just pack up and say, look, we're going to forget about this and move on. Or you got to say, look, we got two weeks to work on it until the next Grand Prix. Let's make sure we get this car back into a competitive point. So these two young guys can see what they can do with it out on the track. And I hope that happens because I like both Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. I want to see them do well. I know there's the memes of Daniel Ricardo sort of laughing because he was let go and he's a popular driver 
And we always want to create a villain in those kind of stories. So the villain becomes the brass at McLaren. So it's easy to sort of poke fun at it. But I'm, I'm hoping they produce a competitive car going forward and overcome the disaster of Bahrain. And then the last thing to watch out for, this is a big one because it is about the big one. They already had two in two races. In 2021, Mick Schumacher crashed and ended up bringing the red flag out of the, for the Grand Prix. This was two years ago. This was a race that had a number of incidents and created two red flags, four safety car periods. And then in 2022, the following year, Schumacher crashed again, but this time in qualifying, that stopped the session. And it also came after Nicholas Latifi crashed in Q1 that also brought out the red flag. This is a super fast track. Don't expect a clean 50 laps here. These cars are going to be cooking. I mean, absolutely cooking. It's flowing. You get bad sightlines. There's cars in the way. There's going to be some carnage here. There's probably going to be a really big crash that halts this thing. I mean, I had to go back and review the 2021 Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia. I remember that one. It was like they stopped the race and they had to go back into the pits. And then then I think it was Verstappen got a free tire change and wasn't supposed to. And Hamilton went nuts on the radio. And then there was like swap places with Esteban Ocon. It was like really confusing. <laughs> it was it was the first, the inaugural running at Jeddah. And it was, it was kind of messy. But last year's was a little better, but this still is going to lead to some major accidents. I mean, Carlos Sainz says he loves running the track. It's adrenaline. It's filled with adrenaline. But he goes, it's one of those circuits you know that when you when you crash, it's going to hurt a lot more than at other places. That's what you can expect at Jetta. Now, I give you five things to watch for for the weekend. But uh, every now and then I throw an extra one in there. Call it 5B. Call it 6 if you want. I don't care. But... This one is kind of important, and that is going to be some of the controversy that is attached to this Grand Prix. If you follow sports, you may know that Saudi Arabia is involved in these sporting events uh, that bring in the world audience, whether it's live golf, whether it's soccer matches, now, of course, Formula One. And the controversy of sports washing has been used a lot in their association with these sports. If you follow live golf, for example, you know what I'm talking about. Those golfers who left the PGA Tour to join live have all been asked about sports washing. Well, if you're new to the term, sports washing has kind of been used for when a country such as Saudi Arabia that has something that people around the world don't like, and in this case, human rights, they use sports to sort of wash that away. And so it brings, it. they want to bring the world community to their country to do business, right? So whether it's so whether it's conventions or hosting major sporting events or other business ventures, that is the hope that the more goodwill around the world that your country builds up in hosting these major sporting events, the more likely it is that you're going to see it on the economic side when the world business community utilizes your country to do things that it wants to do, right? Maybe invest some money in, et cetera. Or again, like I said, bring world business leaders to your country for a convention or something thing like that. That's kind of the purpose of it. But it's very controversial and many drivers have spoken up about it. Sebastian Vettel was very vocal about it for two years when Saudi Arabian Grand Prix was on the schedule. Now, no driver boycotts are planned or anything like that, but you may see some of the drivers like Lewis Hamilton, who's very socially conscious and a couple of others as well, do speak up about it leading into the Grand Prix. They're still going to race, but they are wanting to use the microphone to be more vocal. I know that was a controversial topic this offseason. Formula One doesn't want to step into that pool of drivers making political statements, but 
you, it's going to be really hard to sequester drivers in their in their free speech. It's really going to be difficult. And some of them are just going to t- pay whatever fine you want to want, want to pay to speak out about issues they firmly believe in. And also, if you remember last season, there was a missile strike that occurred not far from the track. And it was a real concern to drivers and the teams. And there was a talk about whether or not that the race should be suspended. Should the race go on? It was something not that far. I mean, it was, I think it was within 30 miles of the circuit. And that was very concerning. But they went on with the Grand Prix anyway, and everything went fine. But it kind of brought home the dangers of being in certain places at certain times. And while you never hear that when they're in Austria, you don't hear that when they're in Miami, but they're racing the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And one of the things that's making the news is there's a nearby missile strike. And I can understand, especially if you are um, a, a Christian Horner, let's say, and it's not only Max Verstappen that you're kind of responsible for as the team boss, you're responsible for the PR people, you're the communications team, the engineers, the mechanics, everybody that's on your team that's wearing your uniform, you're responsible for them. So you can understand there's a, there's a, there's a sense of the show must go on, but I've got a lot of people under my belt here that are leaving their families to come to this Grand Prix and I got to make sure I get them home safe. So that's what went on last year. I don't know the political climate this year, if that's something that is still going to happen. Uh, but nevertheless, it was something just to pay attention to. So those are the six things or five, five B things that you want to watch out for this weekend. All right, let's get to the track because this is relatively new. And if you're new to formula one, this is a brand new circuit. If you want to just put it in the context that you know, they've been racing at Silverstone forever. They've been racing in Austin for a long time. They're racing in Monaco for, for generations, but Jetta is relatively new. This is only the third time the street circuit is on the Formula One calendar. It sits along the coast, and as I mentioned earlier, it's very, 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 very fast. It's not a typical street circuit, right? It's, it doesn't have those 90-degree turns because it's going around city blocks. It is just got... You know, and it also doesn't have like a slow corner like the hairpin at Monaco. It is got speed. I mean speed, sweeping turns, flowing corners. It's hard to describe. I mean, it's just one turn after another. You got 27 of them all together. It's right behind Monza, the temple of speed, when it comes to average speeds. And it's also the fastest street circuit that Formula One has ever seen in its history. It's just over six kilometers long. As I mentioned earlier, 27 turns, but only seven of these have real braking points. That's how fast this thing is. Uh, Pirelli is bringing the mid-range tires to the Grand Prix, C2 for the hards, C3 for the mediums, C4 for the softs. There are three DRS zones. Remember last year, Max Verstappen, he used those to perfection in his battle with Charles Leclerc. They sort of cut that down a little bit. They were just kind of playing cat and mouse until there was a point where Leclerc couldn't catch Verstappen and Verstappen won the Grand Prix. There's been a few models Moderations to the circuit, but nothing worth screaming about, like what happened in Barcelona where they took out the chicane. There's nothing major that, that they did to this uh, to this track. They just adjusted a couple of things, some walls, etc. Um, Logan Sargent and Oscar Piastri, this is a pretty good point to make. They both have experience on this circuit. They raced F2 last year uh, on this circuit, but Nick DeVries, the other rookie on the grid, uh, he has not. He does not have the experience of racing at Jeddah. All right, if you're brand new to this podcast, I do top five and bottom five of the previous Grand Prix, and so we're going to go back to the season opener in Bahrain. Just as a note, I make this note throughout the season, sort of reminding new listeners. So for many of you, you've probably heard this a million times. My top five, bottom five can be anything. 
It can be a driver, of course. It can be teams. It can be weather. It can be the FIA. It can be anything that affected the Grand Prix weekend. So keep that in mind, because sometimes it could be like Michael Massey, like in 2021. It could be weather, like, I, like I've seen last season at a couple of Grand Prix. So it could be the tires. I mean, it could be something like Pirelli. I had, I had Pirelli in the bottom five at Baku two years ago because they were a mess in Azerbaijan when Verstappen went out and Stroll went out. So it could be anything. So let's get started with the top five and bottom five from Bahrain. We start with the bottom five, and the number five on the list is Nico Hulkenberg. It was not a good day for the Haas driver. He's back in a full-time ride in F1. Normally, I would not be hard on the team like this. I, I, If you remember, for example, I didn't put Nicholas Latifi in the bottom five every week, even though he deserved to be there. Because, after, because you know, you just got to a point where you wanted to talk about other things other than drivers that were finishing at the bottom. So Nikita Mazepin, Mick Schumacher, like other drivers for Haas that were finishing near the bottom, I, I just left them alone. But Nico Hulkenberg got to Q3 on Saturday. And I wasn't expecting him to finish in the points. I mean, it was 57 laps, but I did expect him to do a little better. He had some contact early, and they never overcame that contact. They both talked about the race pace, him and Kevin Magnuson. They both liked where the car's potential would be. It was just a struggling day for him. Had that early damage and never really got over it. It's a bit, it's a bit disappointing for the team because they replaced Mick Schumacher, and they got an experienced Hulkenberg in that car, and you want to get him near the points, and they weren't near the points on Sunday. Number four, talked about this earlier, but it's worth mentioning in the bottom five, and that's McLaren. What a disaster. Nothing good for the team on a season opener. You can learn from it. You can forget it. You can try to do better. You can see all the cliches, but I don't know what I would do if I was Zach Brown. I know this. I'm sure this isn't what Lando Norris signed up for when he put his you know, pen to paper on that contract extension. And I know it isn't what Oscar Piastri thought he was signing up for when he left Alpine to go join McLaren. Uh, but it was a disastrous weekend. It was a bad preseason testing. You could chalk it up to the track and they just don't do well there, but they're going to need to show something in Saudi Arabia to get the people and their fan base to be a little excited that they're going to be back in the midfield running. Cause both of those drivers didn't finish in the points. Piastri retired with electrical problems. And then Norris had that pressure leak on the power unit and it had to be had to pit every 10 laps to recharge it and you know we said maybe it's a one-time bad weekend but it was still an awful race all right three charles leclerc uh last season's runner-up in the world championship leclerc now starts 25 points behind verstappen after an electrical failure on his car not his fault but that's not how top five bottom five works right you're still the driver it's unfortunate but we still gotta put you in there he was running a solid p3 before he had to retire Right? There was no doubt that he was going to finish third. He was going to be on the podium. It wasn't the win, but no one was really behind him, and no one was in front of him, and it was a pretty solid P3. And then he retired, and that allowed Fernando Alonso to get the podium. With the aforementioned penalty on the grid coming up at Saudi Arabia, Leclerc's trouble started early Sunday in that Bahrain Grand Prix, and it continues to this race weekend. So he gets third in the bottom five. Number two, and this is what I was talking about. I'm giving it to a team, and that's Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton felt they got the best result out of that car. Toto Wolff was harsher. He said the race was one of the worst days of racing for the team. Hamilton came in fifth. He was 51 seconds behind Hamilton. That's almost a second per lap. And they left Bahrain knowing that Aston Martin was now in contention for that upper middle group with them and Ferrari. And with three teams having a car finishing ahead of Hamilton, 
he might be right when he said that they're fourth fastest among that group. So not a good weekend for Mercedes. Despite both of their drivers getting points, they are now looking at a kind of a new world now with Aston Martin in the thick of it. Uh, number one, though, and this this was easy, Esteban Ocon. Triple header, triple play, hat trick, whatever term you want to use, this is the whammy that Ocon got in Bahrain. Suffered some damage early after a collision with Hulkenberg. Then was given a five-second penalty for being out of place on the grid at the start. He didn't serve that penalty correctly after his crew was working on the car for the damage. So that was another 10-second penalty. Then he came in to serve that and was caught speeding on pit lane. So you got to add another five seconds to that. In all, he took 20 seconds in penalties and then they just retired the car. So a no good, awful, rotten, stinking day for Esteban Ocon. But the triple whammy of penalties, ye gads. All right, as far as top five goes, I'm going to start with the good old U.S. of A., and that's Logan Sargent for Williams. Had a P12 finish. His first F1 race started 16th and just barely missed out on Q2 in qualifying Saturday. Had the exact same time as Lando Norris. So did benefit from a few retirements in the Grand Prix, but he held his own and finished ahead of the other two rookies on the grid. And if you add Alex Albon getting in the points, Williams had a pretty good day. They got a lot out of Sargent. They got points out of Albon. And Sargent deserves this ride in F1. But you know what? He's also carrying the flag for all the new U.S. fans that are coming into the sport. Now, I wondered, uh, before Sargent got this ride, I, I had done a couple of uh, segments in my podcast about whether or not the United States fans, the new ones, the drive to survive newbies, would root for a guy that finishes in the back of the pack. That could still happen this season. I mean, he could still, he could find his find out that, you know, hey, this was just a good race, but in reality, he's finishing 16th and 17th. But the opener was a winner for Sargent. So no matter what happens to him the rest of the way, this was a great result. And he's probably generating some new fan interest in the United States in his home country. All right, number four on the top five, and that's Valtteri Bottas. It's an eighth place finish for the Alfa Romeo driver, and it was the 10th straight time that he has scored points in Bahrain. Now, the devil's in the details, though. I mean, he was driving for Mercedes for a good portion of those years. But remember, the last two, he was with Alfa, Alfa Romeo, and then they started with Williams. The first three were at the Williams car. So he showed that the team can fight for points, which is what people are seeing and testing from the Alfa Romeo team. So a good day for Valtteri Bottas. Number three, Pierre Gasly. What a debut in, in, in an Alpine. He got that car into the points after starting the race in last position. He got some help with the safety car that allowed him a quick, cheap pit stop. That allowed him to put some soft tires on, and he picked up some points. But this is a really good result for Gasly. And, you know, you couple that with Esteban on Ocon's terrible day, and Alpine got at least a great run from Gasly with a, a horrible day for Esteban Ocon. So good for Pierre Gasly to at least keep Alpine uh, getting some points on a day where it looked kind of miserable. All right, number two, hear me out on this. New podcast listeners, those who've listened before know I do this occasionally. Number two is Max Verstappen. I know, I know, hold on. This was very good, almost too good. It, it was such a dominating performance. Now people are scared that the season's already over. Verstappen had no problems at all at Bahrain. He never got tested, never got challenged. Nice pit stop, just cruised to a victory. He's picking up where he left off, and that should make everybody else nervous. It should make every fan that doesn't root for Max Verstappen nervous. This could be a season of just runaway dominance. We've seen it before in Formula One. 
whether it's Michael Schumacher or Lewis Hamilton, you know, we've seen these kind of dominating years where it's all about one driver and Max Verstappen has already put a huge stamp on the 2023 season. We're only one race in, but number one, and I think everybody understands why this would be number one. And that's Fernando Alonso, just to prove that not all race winners, even when they dominate are going to be the top dog. This is the example. When you have Fernando Alonso, who was almost 22 years to the day of his F1 debut, taking that Aston Martin to a podium finish yeah he got help from Charles Leclerc's retirement does not matter that we don't get into those details he put that car into a podium finish it showed that the team's preseason results were no fluke Aston Martin is going to be around every single weekend it's a really fast team now I am very curious to see where this is going to be heading there's going to be some tracks they're not going to be as good at and there might be some tracks where if the circumstances are right they might pull off a victory as I mentioned earlier or Lance Stroll could find himself in podium position too. It's that good of a car, at least from what we've seen right now. So congratulations to Fernando, a popular worldwide podium finish for him. And that's why he gets number one, even over Max Verstappen, who won this thing and made a sandwich and had a drink and kicked up his heels and watched TV before Sergio Perez crossed the line in second place. All right, that is our preview of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We will get the full review coming up next week, and I hope you will subscribe. You don't want to miss it. I am glad you are part of our third season of the Overtake F1 podcast. Please share it with your friends if you haven't already. And if you do, please let me know on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can also hit me up on an email at Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com. You can find the Overtake F1 podcast on Facebook. So please be part of our community. We'd love to have you, especially if you're a new fan. We'll welcome in everybody. Uh, thanks for being a part of what we're doing here at the Overtake. So don't forget to look for the review next week. Enjoy the week everybody. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for listening to the Overtake F1 podcast.